Welcome to Rhode Island's Church and State Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Jessica. We're a husband and wife podcast. He's a pastor and I'm a state senator. So you've been warned. We're about to talk politics and religion. And anything else that might get us canceled. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to give you a short introduction into how Rhode Island's legislature works. We're fortunate enough to have someone on the inside, my wife, Senator Dela Cruz. Got a man on the inside. <laughs> who can give us the uh, the perspective of what it's like behind the marble walls, behind the curtain, mm. and um, and uh, just show us the uh, the inner workings, the uh, the nuts and bolts you know, I think what we see in textbooks doesn't necessarily always line up with uh, what we actually see play out in practice. So uh, I'm, I, I'm interested uh, in today's podcast. Of course you're interested. You're a former civics teacher. This is the kind of stuff you love. <laughs> I do. Uh, this is right in my wheelhouse. Um, all right. So let's start. Uh, how much time do you put in at the General Assembly? Officially, we are part-time legislature. Mm -hmm. So we go from January to June. Six um, months. Yeah, sometimes a little bit longer depending on what's happening with the budget, but usually January to June. And within those six months, we meet Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, starting at 4 p.m. Mm -hmm. That then we at 4 p.m. the bell rings and we head to uh, the Senate chambers to vote. And then when we've completed all of our um, votes, then we go to committee at the rise of okay. the Senate. Okay. And so here's the thing. Before we get to the to the session, we're supposed to have read all the bills that are on the floor. So mm -hmm. there's prep work before and after. I see. I read every bill, so right. I Sometimes you like to get there if you can. You, you try to get there at uh, one o'clock, two o'clock, just to kind of review, check sure. out what bills are going to be heard today, read through them. Well, I review beforehand, but sometimes oh. I need to go in either to talk to legal counsel, mm. um, you know, prepare an amendment, mm -hmm. or maybe. It's something, you know, but there are various reasons why I would go early. Yeah. And and you said it's a part-time legislature, but you don't really treat it as a part-time legislature, even though it's on, uh, even though you guys are only in session from January to June, you're like responding to emails and you're, yeah. so what are you doing year round? In, I'm helping in constituents. November? What are you doing in December? The, the work never stops. Okay. You know, uh, if it's helping constituents or if you piece of legislation that you think you want to submit, you're working on. Uh, it's not, some people say, oh yeah, it's only like a few hours, three mm -hmm. days a week. No, it's not. There's a lot of prep work, right. a lot of time that goes into it. Yeah. I mean, I, you're, uh, you've got your laptop open sometimes I'm going to bed and you're still plugging away, reading through things, yeah. you know, drafting emails, sending stuff out to mm -hmm. constituents or talking to other lawmakers. I think the, the way that the framers of our state constitution, um, organized it, they wanted a legislature that wasn't a professional class, mm -hmm. right? Right. I mean, that's probably why we have a part-time legislature. One, there's less damage they can do. That's what I say. Because they're not, they're not in there. Do you really want us there 12 months out of the year? We scheming and coming up with new ways to tax and and remove our liberties. Yeah. Let's hope not. Six months is enough. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so the state can't afford a full-time legislature. Yeah. Let's be honest. That's true. Otherwise, taxes go up and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, um, I mean, there's uh, th there's still a lot of work that you guys are, are doing you know, throughout the year and yeah. weekends, nights. So so I've got um, an SAT question for you. Mm -hmm. I know you've been out of the game for a while, but let's, let's play along. Ready? Congress is to the U.S. as blank is to Rhode Island. 
Congress, oh, that's an easy one. Congress is to the US as the General Assembly is to Rhode Island. Gold star. Hey, all right. Um, I I think I know a little bit about the inner workings over there at the General Assembly. Me. Tell so me. we have two houses, right? You've mm -hmm. got uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate. In the Senate, there are 38 of you guys. I know that one because that's one you're in, right? Right. Okay. You're nodding your head, but people can't see That's true. They can't see me. <laughs> and then there are 75, um, 75 representatives. Mm -hmm. Okay. So altogether, I think that's 113 um, senators and reps, lawmakers between both houses. Um, now, out of those, out of the, uh, the generals, or when I look at the General Assembly, if I'm honest with you, there are some complaints that I have. And oh, okay. I, and that I don't appreciate. I know you're used to this. Oh, so let me grab go. my pen and paper here, my <laughs> pad. Um, one thing that that I like about the federal level, and of course, it gets a lot of grief. People don't like, you know, U.S. Congress. It's always, you know, polling in the teens somewhere as far, <laughs> far as popularity. People do not like Congress. But I like the way it's organized uh, in two ways. I like, first of all, that our senators are there for six years and our representatives are there for two years. I like that because if there is an issue that is very, very popular one election cycle or very polarizing in one election cycle, I like that um, we're not seeing all of the politicians sweeped out because of the moment, the issue of the moment or that, that particular year. Mm -hmm. So I like that the senators can be there for six years. The other thing that I like is how um, both houses seem to have a, a, a different, not loyalty, but their their constituency is a little different. Of course, they all represent the people. They are all serving and working for the country. But in Congress, our representatives are really built around population. Mm -hmm. So those areas and those states that have more people are going to get more representation. And I think that's fine. I think that's totally appropriate. Yeah. But then I appreciate how we have a U.S. Senate that is really more interested in what's important to our state. Every state gets two senators. So Rhode Island and California get the same uh, level of representation mm -hmm. in the Senate. And I, I like that. I, I, I really appreciate that. It seems very thoughtful. Of course, our framers, founding fathers, wise, and it served us very well. However, in Rhode Island's General Assembly, the Rhode Island state senators and state reps, you guys all serve two years. And both are organized by population. So what's the difference? Like there, there really is isn't none. any difference no. other than the fact that as a senator, you just represent twice as many people as, as someone yeah, as someone in the House of Rep mm -hmm. Representatives. Right. So that kind of bothered me. It's like if if we could be a little more thoughtful about the representation and the way that it was set up, it would be cool if, and we've talked about this in a previous episode, if our senators could be more representative of a city or a town, because then right. I feel like city and town issues would, would be kind of heard in the general assembly. We should model it after the U.S. Um, Senate and, and mm -hmm. House of Reps because I think the senators should be four years, which is more like the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. um, and then reps would continue on with two years. And we can't do it, as I said in a previous episode, that it's unconstitutional for Rhode Island to do that, even yeah. though uh, we would just be following the model of our mm -hmm. 
of our uh, capital in Washington. Now, so. And we don't have um, term limits. We don't have that in the U.S. Senate or in the House of Representatives. Would you be, have you ever talked about that? Has People there ever been talked about People ask me about, about that. And, you know, I, I see, I see why people say that, and but I, mean, I they support term limits. Yeah, I see why people support term limits, but elections are also where people can vote a senator or a representative out of office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you feel like term limits are should be decided at the ballot box. Every election I, is an opportunity. For I haven't a term decided to be yet, but I, I tend to to lean that way. I would put. Um, personally, I would give myself a term limit and say, okay, at this point, mm -hmm. you know, enough, but I'm just not sure yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm torn. Okay. I feel like in the U S Senate and in uh, Congress, I, I would like to see it. I guess the reason why I say that is in Rhode Island, there are so few Republicans and not many Republicans run and a lot of seats go unopposed. That's true. Yeah. So would it make sense for Rhode Island? I, that's why I have a strong hesitation for it. However, when we're talking about national politics, which is not something we're really going to do here very often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, career politicians, 30 years right. in office, even more. Mm. That's too long. Okay. So are there really any differences then other than in population between the house of representatives and the Senate when we're talking about in the general assembly, any differences? No. So the difference is really the differences would be traditional more than constitutional. For example, the House, they take lead on the budget. Okay. And the Senate, they take lead on reviewing judicial appointments. Hmm. It's not to say that the Senate doesn't have a say in the budget, but really the House has more of a say okay. in the budget. Okay. And it, and in the House, they have a judiciary committee, but mm -hmm. you're saying that there, there seems to be more deference or more... Um, uh, the, the, at least in the state Senate, the Senate takes more of the leadership on judiciary nominations and they and do, but they've already been vetted before they come before the judiciary committee and it's an exhaustive process. So we as senators will definitely look at the packets that are presented to us that have the application and, and references, okay. a bunch of information that it's very personal. So we'll review it. And if we have questions, we can ask during, um, those committee hearings. But the process has already really is over at that point. Okay. It's almost like pomp and circumstance. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Uh, let's switch over then to talking about how a bill becomes a law. Mm -hmm. Again, as a civics teacher, I know what a textbook says, and I know what I've always taught my students. We've modeled it out. We've, we've, we've drawn the flow chart to, to show our students how does a bill become a law. Um, but is it... Is it different at the General Assembly? For example, can anyone submit a bill to become a law? Is that something that any citizen, any uh, resident can do? Technically, only a rep or a senator can submit a bill. If you want to have a bill submitted, you can reach out to your lawmaker and, and ask them to submit something for you. For example, like the Attorney General, the Secretary of State, the Governor, will approach a senator mm -hmm. or a rep and say, this is a piece of legislation that I'd like passed. So when in committee, you'll see who the sponsor is, but in parentheses further down a little bit, it will say secretary of state. And then you'll know that this is a piece of legislation that they would like to get passed, but mm. ask the senator to do it for them I see. to submit it on their behalf because they can't. Um, 
I also have submitted legislation on the three towns that I represent. Mm -hmm. They've, you know, have town council meetings, pass a resolution. And so then I submit that to the legislature and even constituents. Interesting. Mm -hmm. There there was a time when um, uh, it had to be 10 years ago. I remember meeting with a state senator and a state rep in mm -hmm. the previous town we lived in yes, and i, I had to uh, amend the state the general laws in the state because there was a, an issue that was happening in town and right. and i noticed that talked to our state rep and state senator at the time and they got it done and they got it done i was really impressed i was like oh man is this just a a meeting and it's not going to go anywhere but i was really impressed with yeah, how kudos to them yes they were very responsive and and uh, worked worked hard on our behalf. So I appreciate that, appreciated that. But then I've seen other lawmakers who are willing to submit some bills that they haven't even read. Like there was one time a, um, a lawmaker submitted a bill that didn't come from a constituent, wasn't even from someone from Rhode Island, but someone like out in the Midwest or something submitted this thing. And then it blew up because the media caught wind of it and said, this is a terrible bill. Who yeah. put their name to it? I remember getting the email myself. Oh. And uh, I get, I mean. And you shot it down. The the amount of emails that come in mm. to my inbox, mm -hmm. if they're not from a constituent, they don't take priority. I always read constituent emails first. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing this and I deleted it. But sometimes there may be a good idea. Sometimes mm -hmm. you talk to a legislator from another state and they're saying, this is what we're doing. And I might be like, oh, that's a great idea. Do you Can I see what you've, you've written? What's model legislation? Can I, you know, talk to you about it? But this was just somebody who emailed, I think every legislator they could in the country. In the country, like yeah. thousands of people. And, uh, it and was, there was one, of who, course, in Rhode Island that took the bait and uh, ran with it. Yeah, well, they were co-sponsors, I believe. So, <laughs> And then there was a time in the House, I remember one of the reps had said that he wanted to be removed from a bill and it was a big deal. It was mm. in, the, in the Providence Journal. Yes. And he I said, oh, that. I didn't read the bill. I just assumed what the sponsor had said about the bill was true, so yeah. I signed on. Now, I want to be honest with you. Have you ever voted on a bill that you haven't read? No, I haven't. I've read every bill, every bill that comes before me. Kudos to you. I've read. That's yeah. really good. That says something about you. Um, all right. The next step after a bill is is uh, is drafted and it's uh, put together, it's written out, legal counsel kind of weighs in. Uh, sponsors are found, right? You go mm -hmm. around and uh, you guys literally walk around uh, and ask each other, hey, yeah. do you want to sign on to my bill? Will you, will you put your name to it? I've said no a lot of times. Yeah. As a lawmaker, I would imagine that's something you just have to get used to. You mm -hmm. can't say yes to everything. Otherwise, you're lying or you're being disingenuous. Yeah. So you end up saying no to a lot of people, but you end up getting people to sign on to your legislation. Yeah. Sometimes they say yes, and and I'll also ask. Are you treated like a... Uh, uh, like, Do they like, walk around saying leper, leper? Yeah, you know? because you're a Republican and they refuse to sign it. Do you ever get Democrats to to sign on to your legislation? I try to have all of my legislation be bipartisan. That's good. Yeah. Okay. That's good practice. And you what's try. the worst? That's interesting. Yeah, I try. Some legislation, um, and, and with COVID, it's been a little weird because mm. not everybody is in session early and some of them leave right away. And so you're trying to find people to sign. So we've been working around that. But yeah, I've gotten my fair share of no's as well. Okay. All right. So after you've got those sponsors and people are, are deciding whether or not they want to be a part of it, it goes to committee. Mm -hmm. What committees have you been a part of? Judiciary, labor, rules, and oversight. But I'm also 
the minority whip, which means that I have ex officio privileges. I can vote on any committee and sit on any committee as a do, member. Do you do that often? Do you jump into different committees? I just became the whip okay. this year. And right. so I did sit on two committees, commerce and education at this point. And I will point out that the difference between the House and the Senate here is that the majority and minority whip are ex officio members in the Senate, but not in the House. They don't okay. have ex officio privileges. So you actually have a little more uh, I don't want to say power, but a little more influence. It is power, right? Mm. You have a little more uh, influence. You have more voting so. power. Yeah, we'll put sure. it that way. You have more voting power in the Senate than you would in the House. If you were yeah. in the House, you you wouldn't be able to sit on any of these committees. Not as ex officio, no. Mm. But you yeah. uh, you could vote. So, uh, in some of the committee hearings that you've been a part of, what have been some of the uh, more memorable ones? Well, there's also the, um, there's the. The Second Amendment nights, the abortion nights, and just recently this year, because we haven't had every year, those are like annual um, happenings. But this year was the school choice and education committee that I sat through, listened to hours of testimony of parents pleading with the senators to vote down the moratorium on charter school expansions. And it sailed through committee with mm. only one no vote. What I was surprised there, uh, surprised about with that committee hearing was how many of the people who testified were not were actually lived in the same districts as their senators mm -hmm. who were on the committee and as they were pleading with their senators to end this moratorium um the senators voted against the wishes of their constituents that happens more often than you think why is that because it seems like they would be interested in you know their own political survival, yet they are voting against what seemed to be the overwhelming interest of their own constituents, especially with that school choice thing. Yeah. I'll... Is is there pressure? Do you, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there pressure from leadership, or is it from in in the issue of school choice? Was it maybe the teacher unions, uh, or were there just other parents and other issues? Um, or other people that's all of the above there are special interest groups that are very powerful mm. and the reality of the matter is that there are very little consequences come election time um we might hear like oh well i'm gonna vote i'm gonna vote for someone else but mm -hmm. these individuals keep getting reelected, and until there are some serious consequences then uh, and by that i mean being um being ousted from your seat and having someone else uh, take your spot, I think it will continue this way. Hmm. You know, the when I talk, when I think of the Second Amendment crowd, when they come, and literally thousands of them will fill the rotunda wearing their yellow shirts. So you know that um, usually people will wear a color shirt, right? Like the Moms Demand Action wear red, um, Coalition for Gun Violence will wear orange, and then the uh, Second Amendment uh, individuals will wear yellow. And it is a overwhelming majority of yellow shirts in that building. Now, all of them will testify, mm -hmm. but that visual tells you, right. you know, the majority of people here that are taking time out of work to testify, to to exercise their First Amendment right, mm -hmm. they're against this legislation. And yet the legislation, the legislation passes year after year. Now, let's talk about that step out of committee. So mm -hmm. any legislation that's heard in committee how likely is it that it's going to pass and get out of committee? Is it 50-50? Is it- I'll the, give you a guess. Is the vast a, majority- A, 50-50. Mm -hmm. B, 
30 and see 99.99999%. Uh, I'm guessing that it's 99.99% does not get out of committee. No, if it comes out of committee and goes to the floor, then it's going to pass. All right, but how much actually gets out of committee? Most of the the bills don't get out of committee. So nine out of ten, ninety nine out of ten. Uh, it depends on the committee. Okay. You know, judiciary hears the most bills, mm -hmm. where others like um, traditionally the ethics rules and oversight, they're um, they don't hear as many bills. Interesting. Okay, uh, so you're saying most bills do not get out of committee. But then something happens once it gets on the floor, it's a reversal. Mm -hmm. If it's heard in committee, it's not likely to get out. If it's heard on the floor of the Senate, you're saying 99.999% of the time that bill is going to become state law. Yeah, there are a few bills that uh, senators vote their conscience or their beliefs, their mm -hmm. convictions. Um, one of them happened with the abortion night where it was a very close vote in the Senate. Mm -hmm. um, but then there and there was another bill which was an odd one to me that uh, there was like a registration list of people who abused animals that one was shot down but it was a close one hmm. and i was shocked because every bill that comes to the floor is going to Interesting. pass okay yeah but just because it passes on the senate floor doesn't mean that it becomes state law because mm -hmm. the same process now has to play out in the House. Right. Okay. How often does that happen? So there's talk of every year, you know, the Senate president or the, the Speaker of the House, they talk about their legislative agenda, things they want to get passed. And true to form, many times they're successful in getting it through their chamber. But is it they don't talk to each other? Like, why don't we see more of this legislation get out of both chambers? If they want it to pass both chambers, it will certainly pass both chambers. That is, and both of them need to both agree. Both of on them it. will agree on it. Mm -hmm. But what happens sometimes is the Senate will need to pass a bill, but um, they, the House is going to cover for them and say, well, we're not going to hear the bill. It never makes it to the floor for a vote. Okay. And so, same with the House. It's like a, an exchange, a deal. Like you're going to, we're going to pass this in the Senate house side, but you're not going to pass it in the House and you're going to pass something in the House, but we're not going to pass it in the Senate. But then you add the executive branch to it. And if they want something, then they'll negotiate the three of them. What mm. passes, what stays, mm -hmm. you know, I need to pass this to look good, but you're going to kill it because I know it, it's going to be bad, like a bad bill for the state or because X, Y, Z. Wow. Is that a theory that you have, or is that just something that is, is common knowledge among lawmakers? It's common knowledge, yeah. And the reason this happens is because for 80 years, we've mm -hmm. had one party rule. It's not healthy for the country, excuse me, for the state. Yeah. It wouldn't be healthy for the country either. <laughs> sure. Um, but for 80 years, you have, there, there's just, there is no um, accountability or oversight. Right. And so you can do these things. However, if Republicans were in power for 80 years, we would have our own set of issues. Yeah. It wouldn't be yeah, hunky-dory, rainbows exactly. and butterflies. It's never healthy when you see one party <clears throat> run the, the legislature for 80 years. It, you you right. don't have a, a vibrant debate. There's not a fear of um, election cycle. Yeah, yeah. No like are you, are, am I going to lose the seat? Am I going to lose control of the chamber mm -hmm. or the, one of the houses? I mean, that, I think that's one of the things that kind of keeps, uh, keeps Rhode Island from going too far to the right or too far to the left is it does have that healthy pendulum swing between two the, the, the two parties. 
at the state at the at federal the level. At the federal level, not at the, the state. state yeah. level. I mean, the last time you've had a Republican run legislature would be in the nineteen thirties. So I mean that's that's sad. Yeah, that's uh, I, I mean, that's uh, amazing. Thirties, forties? We say eighty years. It's eighty years. It's more yeah. like ninety. Probably. Um, all right. Well, let's um let's wrap this up. Uh, I know that you all, you do a great job of reaching out to your constituents and talking to them. You're always emailing. You have those monthly coffee with Jess uh, gatherings, uh, though you've had to put uh, push pause on those because of the pandemic right. and COVID. Um, but I enjoy them because I get to hear what what's on the minds of the people and yeah. what's important yeah. to them, and that's that's how I will continue to to work. Yeah. Well, what advice would you give to someone who may be listening to this and they don't even know who their lawmaker is? They don't know who their state senator well, is, their state all, rep? Don't feel bad because for a long time I didn't know who mm -hmm. were my um, state reps. As uh, I, like I told you in the previous podcast, I was really just paying attention to national politics and it wasn't until I had my kids that I was really starting to pay attention to, you know, who are my school right. committee and who's my mm -hmm. rep and senator so don't feel bad it's very easy to find out you can go on the secretary of state website which is vote.sos.ri.gov and there will be a little tab there that says uh, find your elected officials you click on that you put in your information your home address it's pretty basic yeah it's basically your simple. home address and they th that's how that you find out who your state rep is your right. state senator and they should have their email and phone number listed and i would say reach out to them whatever it is that's important to you mm -hmm. there's legislation coming up and you're concerned either way send them an email be respectful but be honest and you know i would say a personal email is better than a form email. But if you don't, if you're not going to do a personal email, you can do. What do you mean form. by that? A form email? You know, like sometimes um, there might be an advocacy group that says, mm -hmm. you know, just fill in your name here, and we'll send an email on your behalf, and oh, it's like, you know, copy and pasted. Right. If you want to do that, you know, that's fine. We still read them. But if you have, even if it's just a short message that's right. from the heart, shorter is better. Just send it. Brevity is, is, is better. Isn't that fair to say? <laughs> Get to the point. I mean, it sounds like you've got a lot of emails that you're pouring through. So. I do have a lot of emails and, and I, I read each one of my constituents emails, but sometimes they have really good information in their statistics and oh, otherwise. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's why I say be personal, like share, share whatever's on your heart. Right. And, uh, and, and reach out to them. I, mm -hmm. some of them have Facebook, they've got Twitter accounts. I mean, they're trying to be as, um, um, accessible as, accessible as mm -hmm. they can i know you you've been you're always trying to come up with new ways to do that again i think this podcast is another way for you to to uh to communicate and get out your uh, your own message to your uh, your constituents but i would encourage you do it i remember the first time i sat down with a state senator or state rep i was very nervous about it but they're people just like you and i regular joe schmo yeah, yeah sometimes they're working you're catching them after work mm -hmm. or during their lunch break but uh, most of them want to be accessible. They, they want to help you. They want to represent you well. Otherwise, they wouldn't be up there or they're going to get voted out. We kind of have a good system for, for uh, yeah. getting rid of the bad ones. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Stick around for the closing thoughts. Prime Minister Winston Churchill said, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Thanks again for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, help us by subscribing and sharing these episodes. And for more content, check out churchandstateri.com. 